I'm going to be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verse 47. We're continuing in our series in the, in the Gospel of Luke. Last, look, last week we took a little break for Thanksgiving, but we're back following our format this morning. Um, before we start, though, uh, this is the last week and of the month. And normally what we do then is we, uh, we review our memory verse for uh, the month. And the memory verse, as I was very kind to you. I was very, uh, very generous with giving you a small memory verse for this month. And I'm wondering if there's someone here this morning who has memorized the verse and would like to stand up and tell the congregation what the memory verse is and quote it from memory. Is there someone here who would like? Bill Davis, yes. Amen. Good verse. Yes. And then as I'm looking out in the congregation, I see we have some new folks with us. Matter of fact, we have a new young little baby that maybe the parents would like us to meet. And so please, mom and dad, stand up. Yes, I'm talking to you guys back there. No, you can just stand right, right from there. Yes. And that is your third child. Lord bless you. God. Maybe after the service, they can come up and get a little closer look at that beautiful young baby. Amen. 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 Yes, children are a gift from the Lord. Okay, Luke twenty-two forty-seven. An interesting passage. I've entitled it "Failing Jesus," and probably some of you, well, Pastor Neil, couldn't you have picked a better passage? I mean, right after Thanksgiving, this is kind of failing Jesus. Uh, but I don't do that. I don't pick the passage. I just pick the book and we just march through it and it just happens to find right here where we have the story of Judas, Peter, and the chief priests who failed Jesus. Hmm. Maybe you've done... Have you ever done anything really stupid? <laughs> well, yes, you have. <laughs> and then afterwards you said... What was I thinking when I did that? Have you ever? <laughs> or maybe more apropos, uh, your mate said to you, "What were you thinking when you did that?" I've done a lot of uh, silly things. I remember several years ago, um, I went surfing at in San Clemente. It was a rather big day, and so. When, this, when there's a lot of water coming in, the, the water go, has to go one way, so it was going south. It was really pulling hard. And I noticed a little buoy in the water. I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I didn't pay too much attention to it, and I should have, because the buoy was attached to a rope, and the rope was attached to a lobster pot that had washed in on the inside of the waves. And so as I passed by the pot, being that the water was going south, my leash got tangled in the rope, and my board was just sucked right out immediately out of my hands. And I figured, what, what, what? And then I went underwater. 
And if I didn't really act real quick, I could have found myself in serious trouble. And I thought later on, what was I thinking? And I was just, I wasn't, I was concerned about something else. And sometimes when we do really dumb things, (laughs) it's just that our mind was focused somewhere else. What we were looking at and what we weren't paying any attention to what was going on around us. Well, in our passage this morning, we, we, we have the story of Jesus' arrest and his trial. Many of us are very familiar with that, this passage and what, what happened to Jesus. But these things didn't happen in a vacuum. And there was two people and a group of people that failed Jesus at a critical moment. And I want to look at it. At, and the reason is because there was a specific reason Something that was at the, at the very core of what they did that day that caused them to fall short of what Jesus would want to have, would wanted them to do. And the application, of course, is that all of us, and if you're a Christian here and I asked how many of you have failed Jesus, I would expect every hand to go up. So there's an application here, although we're not, certainly not talking about uh, being there with Jesus, but there is a, there's some parallel here. And I wanted to explore that this morning from this passage. So we're going to take it in small sections. Let's read verses 47 through 53. And it's the, it's the story of Judas. Verse 47, Luke 22. They have just finished uh, being in the Garden of Gethsemane. They're still there when this happens. While he was still speaking, Jesus, behold, the crowd came and one called Judas. One of the twelve were preceding them. And he approached Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priest and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come against him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are yours. What we see with Judas, and although you might disagree with me, is I see Judas sincerely with the best of intentions going against the will of God. Judas Sincerely, with the best of intentions, going against the will of God. Now, the Bible describes exactly what Judas did that day, doesn't it? But it doesn't tell us why. Why did he do what he did? We all know the story. He goes to the chief priests. He makes arrangements to betray Jesus. He gets the 30 pieces of silver. And then he, here in this passage, he leads the folks over to where Jesus is, and they arrest him. However, later on we find out that when Judas realizes what's going to happen to Jesus, it says he felt remorse, and he said, he returns the coins, he felt remorse, and he said, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. Oh, what 
why did he why did he say that? What does he mean by that? Well, some say, well, it's the money, Neil. It's the money. It's 30 pieces of silver. Eh, I don't think so. Now, the Bible does tell us that he had a particular uh, habit of dipping into the pot. So he was taking out from, so he had a little bit of thievery in him. He was, he was helping himself to some of the funds. But I don't think that was it. I, I really don't think it was the money. This is for a couple of coins. He betrayed his friend of, of three years. He had seen Jesus. He had seen him and what he did. So what was going on? Well, the Bible doesn't say. So what I'm going to present to you is my supposition. Supposition, you can take it, and, but the Bible doesn't say. So let's just take a look at what Pastor Neil thinks. If you remember, throughout Jesus' ministry, once he began to show his power, some of the people wanted to do what? They wanted to make him king now, do you remember that? Several times he had to kind of pull away from the people because they were trying to make him king. And a matter of fact, there was a time when he was at Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi, which is up by the headwaters of the Mount, uh, uh, Mount Hermon by the Jordan River. And they were having a little retreat time. And Jesus began to tell them that when he got to Jerusalem, what would happen? That he would be arrested, persecuted, and killed. And on the third day... Resurrect from the dead. And they didn't know what he meant. But Peter took him aside and said, That will never happen to you, Lord. And remember what Jesus said to him? He said, Get behind me, Satan. For your mind is focused on the things of men rather than the things of God. Do you remember that? So there was this spirit in many of his disciples and many of his followers who wanted Jesus to do what? To establish the kingdom now. Right now. Now, based on that, my supposition is what was going through Judas's mind, he was going to try and force Jesus to do it now. Do it now. Get him arrested and then he would be forced because his life was threatened to establish the kingdom now. That was directly against what God's will was. What was God's will? That Jesus would come as what? The Lamb of God who would do what? Take away the sins of the world. That was his first coming. Second coming, he would come as the Lion of David to establish the kingdom just like they wanted. Judas was trying to force his hand. And when he saw that Jesus was not going to go along with it, he was going to allow himself to be condemned, he was going to allow himself to be crucified, he said, oh my heavens, what have I done? Devastated. He returned the coins fell into despair and and killed himself. And, as a matter of fact, in this whole plan of Judas, it fell directly in line with God's sovereign will, which led to what God originally had wanted. But Judas was sincerely trying, I believe, with the best intentions, but he was going directly against God's will. For it was not God's will to establish the kingdom then, but it was to establish the kingdom when he would return in glory. Oftentimes, isn't this where we find ourselves failing Jesus? Doing what we want rather than what God wants. Isn't that where we fail Jesus? Throughout the Bible we see that. Isn't that true? Adam and Eve, they decided what? 
They had a better plan on how to run the Garden of Eden. And they led to this disaster that we find ourselves in today. Abraham and Sarah, what did they think? Well, we can get a baby much better than God's plan. We don't tire of waiting for God to do what he's going to do. We have a better plan. The Pharaoh, he would not accept God's will. Even though it was proclaimed with signs following, he knew a better way. David thought, even though he was a man after God's own heart, an anointed king of Israel, that he thought he could do whatever he wanted with whomever he wanted. He was going to do his will rather than what he knew to be God's will. Solomon thought, oh, you know, I'm the the son of David. And none of those foreign wives that I take will ever draw my heart away from the Lord. He thought he knew better. We find ourselves. We see that in in our own actions. Sometimes with the best of intentions, we go directly against what God's will is. And then, at that time, We too sometimes, many times, fail Jesus. Now, here's the hitch in the get-along. Judas' response was not the best. (laughs) Fell into despair and went out and killed himself. And that's exactly what the enemy of our soul would have us to do when we fail Jesus, isn't that? Fall into despair and give up. But there's a better way. And it has to do with the blood of Jesus Christ. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins. Now, some people say, well, Pastor Neil, you don't know how I failed Jesus. No, I don't need to know. But guess what? The best thing that you can do when you fail is to turn back to God. And the blood of Christ will cleanse you from all sin. There is nothing, well, you say, well, Pastor Neil, that's too high of a price. I I can't make it right. I can't admit my failures. Really? You know the best thing that you can do? The best thing, even how much it costs you to do that. You know what's the best thing you can do? Is to walk before God and man with a clear conscience. There is nothing better than to walk before God and man with a clear conscience. So we all fail, amen? We've all failed, Jesus. But the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin as we walk with him. Okay. Let's take a look at Peter. Verse 54. So they arrest him. They led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter was following at a distance. After they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together... Peter was sitting among them, and the servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the firelight, looking intently at him, said, "Uh, This man was with him too, but he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. A little later, another saw him and said, You are one of them too. But Peter said, Man, I am not. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was speaking, a rooster crowed. This is the only place in the scriptures that it 
Luke gives us this little insight. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him. They blindfolded him and were asking, prophesy, who is the one who hit you? And they were saying many other things against him, blaspheming. Peter failed, failed Jesus because he was overwhelmed by fear for his own personal safety. He was overwhelmed by fear for his own personal safety. Peter's story is a little different from Judas. We know the story a few hours before, during the Passover supper. What did Peter said? Well, look at verse 33 right there across the page. He said, Lord, I am with you. I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. Make this great, great pronouncement. We know the story. And then we see within just a few hours of that grand statement, he didn't betray Jesus, but he denied him. Now, he was so confident just a few hours. What happened? Why did that happen? Well, I think he was just overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed because he underestimated the self-preservation drive that exists in each one of us. Isn't that true? We have a very strong drive to preserve our life. And it's very, very strong. Also, he overestimated his own strength of his own personality and his warm feelings for Jesus as his friend. He, he overestimated that. Now, We see this happening throughout the Bible, don't we? Isn't that true? Fear sometimes will cause God's servants to do the strangest things. Remember when Abraham traveled the first time down into Egypt with Sarah? And what did he do? He feared for his life that they were going to kill him. So he said to Sarah, he said to everybody, well, Sarah's my sister. Imagine how Sarah felt at that time. Remember the children of Israel when they first came to the land at Kadesh Barnea. And they heard the report and they said, oh, no, we're not going to do that. And their fear caused them to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Remember Saul and his fear as the Philistines were gathering and Samuel had told him, now you wait, you wait until I get there and I'm going to offer the burnt offering will give us the victory. Remember what Saul did? He saw the Philistine army growing and he saw his people begin to scatter and fear gripped his heart. So he offered the burnt offering and Samuel came and said, why did you do that? And he told him why. And that was the first sign that Saul was not going to make it as king of Israel. Remember the story of Daniel's three friends, the giant statue that Nebuchadnezzar made. And Everybody else was bowing down and worshiping. This, but the three friends, they said no. And they were saved. But if you read the book of Daniel, there were many other young Jewish boys also brought with them who were captive. And they all worshipped the false idol because they feared for their lives. Do you remember the story of the blind man who was, was healed by Jesus and he had been blind from birth? And the, the, 
The leaders of Israel called in his parents and they said, they started questioning him and they said, oh, we don't know, just you talk to him. Why did they do that? The scripture says because they feared they would be thrown out of the synagogue if they gave testimony about Jesus. You remember John Mark on the first missions trip with Barnabas and Saul and Paul. And they got to Pamphylia. And Pamphylia was a swampy area, a very difficult area to live in. And he kind of feared for his, his safety and he went, ran back to Mama in Jerusalem. The, the book is filled with people of God who because of their own fear for their personal safety denied the Lord and failed the Lord. Hmm. Now, you'd have to say if we read verses 63, 64, and 65... He had good reason <laughs> to fear. They were either watching him and they were beating, beating Jesus up. And when Peter saw the power and what they, he knew they could do to him, he was frozen in fear. Now, let's be honest. I'll, I'll be honest with you. There have been times when I was approaching perhaps a missions trip to some strange land. Uh, I thought, uh, you know, what if the plane crashes? What if I get some weird disease? What if, uh, you know, what if I get kidnapped by terrorists? And all these fears filled my heart. And, and so I confess that to you. And probably if you're honest with me, you would have the same fears. Amen. Amen. I got a letter from uh, Rancho Aguaviva, where our team is this weekend. Brent Searway. Brent is the kind of the coordinator down there. He said, Pastor Neil, could you pray for us? Because what happened is uh, we, we have run out of money. I, and he said, explain. If you understand what Rancho Aguaviva does, it's a ranch outside of Ensenada. And they train Mexican nationals for ministry in other parts of Mexico. They don't charge them any money. How do they do that? Well, they're a missions organization, so they get some money from different churches in the United States. But primarily get most of their money by teams that come from America and travel down to Ensenada, and they charge them room and board. That's how they get money to train the Mexican nationals and feed them for the time that they're there. The American churches who go down there pay room and board, like our people are, and they, that's the money. Well, guess what's happened? American churches aren't going down to Rancho Aguaviva anymore. Why? Because they're fearful. Now, do they have a right to be fearful? <laughs> you better believe it. You read all the reports. Although we have never had any trouble in traveling to Ensenada in all the 20-some-odd years we've gone down there. But American churches are scared, so they're not going down there. And Brent Searway said, Neil, there's no money. I have no money in the bank. No, they're not coming down anymore. Many of the churches, many of the big churches, some of the biggest churches in the area, they're not going down to Rancho Aguaviva anymore. Why? Because they're afraid. Now, Peter failed for a couple of reasons. He failed because he counted on his own strength. His own strength, his own strength of his own personality and his warm feelings for his friend Jesus. That's not enough. Not enough. Okay? Well, what's needed? A couple of things. 
need to understand a couple of things. When you have legitimate reasons to fear <laughs> for doing something, first, you might want to write these down. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> you guys, you got to understand this and you got to understand it. We're going to heaven. We're just passing through. Some of us will stay a little longer. Some of us will be a little shorter. You have to kind of settle in your mind. My citizenship is in heaven. This is not my permanent home. Okay, That's got to be the base. You build from there. Number two. Romans 8, 18 says, I consider not the sufferings of this present world even to compare with what? The glory that will be revealed later on. Okay, so it won't even compare. Even the sufferings we go on here. Number three, Ephesians 5.18 tells us, speaking to Christians, Paul says, but you need to be filled with the Spirit. Why do I say that? Ephesians 5.18 says, all of the Christians need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because it's not based on our own personality, our own strength of our own personality, or our warm feelings about Jesus. Zechariah 4.6 says, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit says, how else can you explain this, Peter? Here in the, in the closing chapters of the book of Luke, he just denied Jesus Christ. And yet, just a few months later in the book of Acts, we find him standing before the very same people that tried Jesus. And he stands up and he says, you can tell me whatever you want, but I know I'm going to continue to tell people about Jesus. I'd rather obey God than obey you. What's the difference? Acts chapter 2. When he was filled with the Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Because that's the only thing that will overwhelm our fears. Rightfully so. Even if we have fears that are are genuine. Now, when I first got out of the Air Force, I worked in a steel mill, believe it or not. The name of the company was Crucible Steel, and it was in Harrison, New Jersey. And I was a clerk on the, on the, on the floor of this steel mill. And we made strip steel. And after they rolled the steel to the thickness that it needed to be, and, and they cut it, they slid it up in small pieces, and they filed the edges, most of the steel went through the temper department. Now, the temper department was where they'd run the steel through these hot furnaces and get them hot enough to a certain degree. And then they would, as it came out, the steel came out of the furnace, they'd either run it through water or oil or a certain mixture. And it was a real, really interesting. Depending on how hard the customer wanted the steel would depend on whether they went into an oil bath first or the water bath first, or a combination thereof. Too deep, difficult to explain right now. But that's the way it was. And the steel was tempered, made hard. Now, here's the point of that illustration. Each one of us, when we begin to trust the Lord, maybe the first step is we're really fearful of, oh, I don't know if I can teach Sunday school because those kids will totally overwhelm me. But we, we take a small step of faith in something, whatever it is. Just, or maybe going out with us to, uh, on Saturday morning 
to the abortion clinic, to the sidewalk counselors. Oh, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor Neil. Uh, or something along that lines, whatever it is. Okay, get the, When you take that first step, and you'll see that what? God is faithful. It tempers you. It makes you a little stronger. And, and what, what the Lord asks you to do is test me. Test me now in this. And you'll see that He will strengthen you as you see the faithfulness of the Lord. So that maybe, maybe one year you say, you know, I'm going to go to Mexico with that team or I'm going to go on that missions trip or I'm going to take a step of faith and really begin to move out. The Lord tempers you. He strengthens you when you see His faithfulness in light of your own fears. Peter was overwhelmed. We don't have to be. Okay. Last group is found in verses 66 through 71. When it was day, the council of the elders and the people assembled, both chief priests and scribes, and they led him away to their council chamber, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. And he said to them, If I tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. And they all said, Are you the Son of God then? And he said to them, Yes, I am. Then they said, What further need do we have of testimony? For we have heard it from ourselves, from his own mouth. What we see here in these verses is the spiritual leaders of Israel were blinded by their anger and their envy. They were blinded by their anger and their envy. Now, some of you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. These guys weren't on Jesus' side. Right from the get-go, they were against Jesus. And that's right. If you read the the Gospels, almost from beginning at the, the ministry of John the Baptist, these characters, these leaders of Israel, they were against Jesus and they opposed him at every step of his ministry. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Think about who these guys were. Who were they? They were the spiritual leaders Hello? They were supposed to be waiting for the Messiah. They should have been the number one guys who when they saw Jesus said, Hey, praise God, He's here. They were the guys who were supposed to accept Jesus. If anybody knew anything about the Messiah, it was these guys. And yet, they were blinded by two things. One, their anger. They were livid at Jesus. Livid. Why? Because he told the truth about them. If, if you read the Gospels, you'll see what? From very the beginning, when Jesus began to see their words matched with their actions, he began to speak the truth about them. There's a passage in um, Matthew chapter 23. Just let, you don't have to turn there. Let me read it. Matthew 22, 23. Nineteen times he makes a statement about these leaders. Verse 13, he calls them hypocrites. Verse 14, he calls them hypocrites again. Verse 15, he calls them hypocrites. Then he calls them sons of hell. Verse 16, he calls them blind guides. Verse 17, he calls them fools. Verse 19, he calls them blind. Verse 23, he calls them hypocrites. Blind guides again in verse 24. Hypocrites in verse 25. Blind Pharisees in verse 26. Hypocrites, whitewashed tombs 
in verse 27, full of hypocrite, hypocrisy and lawlessness, verse 28, verse 29, hypocrites, and then the coup de gras, serpents, brood of vipers. He spoke the truth. And you know what? They had nothing to come back at him because what he said was the truth. And he left them spiritually naked in front of everybody and there was nothing they could say and they were absolutely livid with anger towards it. And it blinded them to the truth about who he was and what he had come to do. Now, the Bible says that when they brought Jesus to Pilate, which we'll look at next week, he recognized that their charges were a bunch of baloney. And it's, the Bible says that he knew that he had been delivered up, Jesus had been delivered up to him because of their envy. They were jealous of Jesus. Not only were they angry at Jesus, but they were filled with envy. Why so? Well, you do read the Gospels. Right away, Jesus begins to preach and large crowds begin to gather around him. They're just amazed at his teaching. As a matter of fact, they say, no one has ever spoken like this man. He speaks with power and authority and implied, not like these bunch of yo-hos. As a matter of fact, in John, after he raises Lazarus from the dead, they get together and they're making their final plans and they say, look, the whole world has gone after him. Now that's an exaggeration, but they're saying, everybody is following this guy. And they were filled with jealousy because the people should have been doting on them. They were the spiritual leaders. So they were blinded by their anger and their envy towards Jesus. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Neil. Now, I've never been angry or envious about Jesus. Really? Really? Well, let's examine your heart. In Matthew chapter 25, in the sheep goat judgment, you know that passage? What does Jesus say? That which you've done to the least of these, my brethren, you have done to me. Oh. Perhaps each one of us, perhaps each one of us can remember a time when our anger and envy towards others brought us to a place where the people around us did not see the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Our anger and our envy can blind us to what God is doing in that particular situation. Now I'm not saying you're angry for no cause, because oftentimes there is some real reason to be angry, but wait, 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 wait. Has that anger or perhaps that envy towards someone else who seems to be getting a better deal than you, has that blinded you to really what's going on with God in your life? Very truthful. Now, I could give examples of things that I've seen in the years of ministry, but I'm not going to bother because I might be pointing out some of the things that you did <laughs> or maybe that I did. 
more likely. What's the end for these leaders that are mentioned in verse 66 through 71? Well, we don't know. Now, the the book of Acts tells us later on that many Jews, many of the high priests, many of the people in in the upper echelons, they did um, recognize Jesus the Messiah, but they're not named, so we don't know. There's a lot of Jews later on after Jesus' death and resurrection came to know him as the Messiah, so we don't know. So we certainly hope that's true. How about us? Maybe we need to make it right. Maybe we need to ask forgiveness of people. Maybe we need to turn back to God. But we also need to make a mental note in our hearts that oftentimes anger may be caused by somebody who's deeply hurt you. Maybe somebody who's really, really hurt you. And you reacted in anger towards them. Or perhaps there's someone who did get a better deal and you did deserve that position or you did deserve what they got and you were filled with envy. Rightly so. And yet, and yet, that anger, that envy blinded us to what God was really doing in our lives and we failed Jesus. Perhaps. Okay. Somebody sent me a story. A pirate walked into a bar. And the bartender said, Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. What happened? You look terrible. And the pirate answered, What do you mean? I feel fine. I'm fine. He says, What about the wooden leg? You didn't have that before. And the pirate said, Well, we were in a battle and I got hit with a cannonball. But I'm fine. I'm fine now. The bartender well, okay, but what about the hook? What happened to your hand? And the pirate explained, well, we were in another battle and I boarded a ship and I got in a sword fight and my hand was cut off and I got fitted with a hook. But I'm fine. I'm really doing fine now. But what about the eye patch? Oh, the pirate said. One day we were at sea and a flock of seagulls flew up. I looked up and some poop landed in my eye. You're kidding, the bartender said. You can't lose an eye from just bird poop. And the pirate paused and he said, well, it was my first day with the hook. (laughs) Now, I told that story to lighten this up because this is kind of a heavy sermon, you know. Can't you say something that's nice? Because the problem with all of these failures is each one of us has probably been involved somewhat in those. Isn't that true? We've failed Jesus in probably one of those ways. But here's the point. Sorry about the pun. Here's the point. (laughs) Oh, that was terrible. Here's the point of telling that story. Did you notice that he thought he was fine? Did you know that? I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. Isn't that true for us? We think, oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine, Pastor Neil. But you know, maybe if we asked our mate, maybe if we asked our kids... Maybe if we ask some real, some real friends, okay, real friends, they would tell us otherwise. Not true. But probably more important, that friend that you have sitting in your lap right now, this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, speaks to us on how oftentimes when our eye, we're not paying too much attention 
And we want our will rather than God's will. But we begin to fear, may legitimately, and we get our eyes off the Lord and what He can do through the power of His Spirit. Or maybe life has been unfair, and it has been unfair, and we're angry or filled with envy, that when those situations come, we need to remember that those are the times when it would be very easy to come short of what Jesus has for us. And the Spirit speaks to each one of us this morning through His Scriptures. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank You for um, these words. It's just like uh, we see even for Peter, those who love You, they came short. They failed at a critical time. But yet, Lord, we don't want to be that way. We want to know You and to walk with you. Help us by the power of your Spirit to stand with you in the good times, but especially the hard times. May that be true for every person who calls in the name of Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.